Editor's Preface and Preface of the Education of Henry Adams. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Education of Henry Adams by Henry Adams. Editor's Preface and Preface. Editor's Preface. This volume, written in 1905 as a sequel to the same authors Mont-Saint-Michel and Chartres, was privately printed, to the number of 100 copies, in 1906, and sent to the persons interested for their assent, correction, or suggestion. The idea of the two books was thus explained at the end of chapter 29. Quote, Any schoolboy could see that man as a force must be measured by motion from a fixed point. Psychology helped here by suggesting a unit, the point of history when man held the highest idea of himself as a unit in a unified universe. Eight or ten years of study had led Adams to think he might use the century 1150 to 1250, expressed in Amiens Cathedral and the works of Thomas Aquinas, as the unit from which he might measure motion down to his own time, without assuming anything as true or untrue except relation. The movement might be studied at once in philosophy and mechanics. Setting himself to the task, he began a volume which he mentally knew as Mont-Saint-Michel and Chartres, a study of thirteenth-century unity. From that point he proposed to fix a position for himself, which he could label The Education of Henry Adams, a study of twentieth-century multiplicity. With the help of these two points of relation, he hoped to project his lines forward and backward indefinitely subject to correction from anyone who should know better." The Chartres was finished and privately printed in 1904. The education proved to be more difficult. The point on which the author failed to please himself, and could get no light from readers or friends, was the usual one of literary form. Probably he saw it in advance, for he used to say, half in jest, that his great ambition was to complete St. Augustine's Confessions but that St. Augustine, like a great artist, had worked from multiplicity to unity, while he, like a small one, had to reverse the method and work back from unity to multiplicity. The scheme became unmanageable as he approached his end. Probably he was in fact trying only to work into it his favorite theory of history, which now fills the last three or four chapters of the education, and he could not satisfy himself with his workmanship. At all events, he was still pondering over the problem in 1910, when he tried to deal with it in another way, which might be more intelligible to students. He printed a small volume called A Letter to American Teachers, which he sent to his associates in the American Historical Association, hoping to provoke some response. Before he could satisfy himself even on this minor point, a severe illness in the spring of 1912 put an end to his literary activity forever. The matter soon passed beyond his control. In 1913, the Institute of Architects published the Mont-Saint-Michel and Chartres. Already the education had become almost as well known as the Chartres, and was frequently quoted by every book whose author requested it. The author could no longer withdraw either volume, he could no longer rewrite either, and he could not publish that which he thought unprepared and unfinished, although in his opinion the other was historically purposeless without its sequel. In the end, he preferred to leave the education unpublished, avowedly incomplete, trusting that it might quietly fade from memory. 
According to his theory of history, as explained in chapters 33 and 34, the teacher was at best helpless, and, in the immediate future, silence next to good temper was the mark of sense. After midsummer 1914, the rule was made absolute. The Massachusetts Historical Society has decided to publish the education as it was printed in 1907, with only such marginal corrections as the author made, and it does this not in opposition to the author's judgment, but only to put both volumes equally within reach of students who have occasion to consult them. Henry Cabot Lodge, September 1918 Preface Jean-Jacques Rousseau began his famous Confessions by a vehement appeal to the deity. I have shown myself as I was, contemptible and vile when I was so, good, generous, sublime when I was so. I have unveiled my interior such as thou thyself hast seen it, eternal Father. Collect about me the innumerable swarm of my fellows. Let them hear my confessions. Let them groan at my unworthiness. Let them blush at my meannesses. Let each of them discover his heart in his turn at the foot of thy throne with the same sincerity. And then let any one of them tell thee, if he dares, I was a better man. Jean-Jacques was a very great educator in the manner of the eighteenth century, and has been commonly thought to have had more influence than any other teacher of his time. But his peculiar method of improving human nature has not been universally admired. Most educators of the nineteenth century have declined to show themselves before their scholars as objects more vile or contemptible than necessary and even the humblest teacher hides, if possible, the faults with which nature has generously embellished us all, as it did Jean-Jacques, thinking, as most religious minds are apt to do, that the Eternal Father himself may not feel unmixed pleasure at our thrusting under his eyes chiefly the least agreeable details of his creation. As an unfortunate result, the twentieth century finds few recent guides to avoid or to follow. American literature offers scarcely one working model for high education. The student must go back, beyond Jean-Jacques, to Benjamin Franklin, to find a model even of self-teaching. Except in the abandoned sphere of the dead languages, no one has discussed what part of education has, in his personal experience, turned out to be useful, and what not. This volume attempts to discuss it. As educator, Jean-Jacques was, in one respect, easily first. He erected a monument of warning against the ego. Since his time, and largely thanks to him, the ego has steadily tended to efface itself, and for purposes of model to become a mannequin on which the toilette of education is to be draped in order to show the fit or unfit of the clothes. The object of study is the garment, not the figure. The tailor adapts the mannequin as well as the clothes to fit his patron's wants. The tailor's object in this volume is to fit young men, in universities or elsewhere, to be men of the world equipped for any emergency, and the garment offered to them is meant to show the faults of the patchwork fitted on their fathers. At the utmost, the active-minded young man should ask of his teacher only mastery of his tools. The young man himself, the subject of education, is a certain form of energy. The object to be gained is economy of his force. The training is partly the clearing away of obstacles, partly the direct application of effort. Once acquired, the tools and models may be thrown away. The mannequin, therefore, has the same value as any other geometrical figure of three or more dimensions, which is used for the study of relation. For that purpose it cannot be spared. 
it is the only measure of motion, of proportion, of human condition. It must have the air of reality, must be taken for real, must be treated as though it had life. Who knows? Possibly it had. February 16, 1907 End of Editor's Preface and Preface